0: Good morning, church. Man, what an exciting morning to be together to lift up Jesus Christ, his name on high, to praise him for all that he's done for us. You feel like a blessed people, right? I mean, he is the ultimate overcomer, and whatever comes our way in life, he is dwells within us, His Holy Spirit, to help us overcome all the things that we come in contact with. Because we want to give glory to His name. We want to live a life of gratefulness to Him for what He's done for us. And thank you for being here this morning to come together as a family of God to praise that risen Savior together. We want to say a welcome to our guests that are here today. Thanks for joining us, being a part of our time uh, together. And our hope would be that you've seen, number one, Jesus Christ in our midst this morning already. But if you're looking for a church home, and we'd love for you to think about Crosspoint being that place you could call home. There are lots of ways to help us tell the story of Jesus Christ right here uh, at Cross Point, whether it's getting involved in a, a connect group that helps us connect relationally and dig into the Word of God to, to learn more about each other, to pray and be with each other on the journey. Or maybe one of our mission points, whether right here in Grand Prairie or as far away as Kenya or Honduras, there are lots of ways for you to help us tell the story. And we'd love for you to join us in that process. Well, we are in this series, and we've got a couple of weeks left in this Overcomer series as we unpack the story of Joseph and how he remains faithful to God. God remains faithful to him throughout his journey. Whether he's in the valley or on the mountain peak, you and I have experienced both of those in our life. And no matter what's going on in your life, God is going to be with you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to allow you to walk alone. He's with you all the time. And so this morning, we're going to dig into Genesis chapter 41. I hope you've got your Bibles with you and you'll turn with me there as we unpack the word of God and better understand how we're called to live in the story that he's given each and every one of us. We're today looking at an interesting facet of Overcomer, and that is overcoming our success. Now, you've had success in your life, and I don't know when that was for you or how many times that has been for you. Maybe it was uh, bringing your firstborn home, and that was uh, a thumbs-up moment. Maybe it was finding the one you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Maybe you thought you were out of money, and you checked the bank account, and there was actually money in the account. You thought, yes, today's a good day. I don't know how it was for you, but each and every one of us has experienced some kind of success along the way. Now, a couple years ago, I did the DNA test, Ancestry.com, uh, because I was interested in kind of what I am made up, what, where am I from, type of thing, uh, and it listed several different groups of people that I uh, kind of come from, and surprisingly, I'm 8% Greek. Now, if you've seen the movie 300, I'm pretty sure that's right here, 8% is here in the abs. No, no, it's not. I'll promise you it's not, not at all. Uh, but I'm also 50% Irish, which means what, growing up, I was a really small kid. I was picked on a lot, bullied a lot in school, and uh, leaning into that, you, know, you try to figure out your place in life, and I decided at an early age that I wanted to play football. That was going to be my go-to thing, my, my sport, part of the team, learn the facet of it. Uh, and in junior high, seventh and eighth grade, I probably weighed about 60, 70 pounds, uh, and they put me on the defensive line. I don't know what they were thinking, but I learned quickly that's not where I wanted to be. Uh, and so I knew if I was going to play football and do well, I was going to have to really work hard at that because I was such a small guy. And so when I got to uh, sophomore in high school, junior, senior, I really hit the weight room really hard and uh, ran track in off season. And by the time I was a senior, I, uh, I started on the football team and I was a defensive halfback, made all district that year. I was like, yes, my dreams are coming true. Uh, and as I worked out in that weight room, even at 135 pounds, I was bench pressing 210, squatting 360, power cling 200. I held the school record for push-ups. And believe me, it was a successful, exciting moment for Tim Hall. I was excited to be a part of that process. It was a success for me. You've, you've had those moments as well. And you remember them right now in your own life. Moments when you had a mountaintop experience. You finally planned something and it came to fruition. Now, we don't talk about overcoming our success much. Most of the time, we talk about overcoming our failures so we'll be successful. But the truth is, most of us lean into the American dream rather than God's dream for you. And this morning, we want to unpack and look at God's dream for you wherever you find yourself. The definition for success is all over the place could be any number of things. So maybe in your own life, it's, it's uh, creating some level of achievement in your career path, your job, with your family, maybe where you live, Maybe it's having the freedom just to do whatever you want. You've been waiting for that moment to happen. And finally, you're, you're, you've got some financial freedom. You've got some time off from work. And so you're finding that you can kind of go and do whatever you want. Maybe that is your success story. But I also know that it, it's also based on a time, a place, and the culture in which you live. So what might be viewed as success here in Texas may not be success in Kenya, Africa. What was successful in 1920 America may not be considered successful today. It's all about where you're at, what's going on, what the culture is. Because you and I can be successful, but if it's the wrong kind of success, isn't that failure? If we're not moving in the direction God wants us to in our dream, in his dream, isn't that failure? There's a story that comes out about Matt Eamons, who is a target shooter for the U.S. Olympic team. You can see all the medals that he's won there. He's really good at what he does. But in 2004, there was an event happened that didn't go exactly as he wanted. He was was leading the race in 2004. He was shooting very well. He got to the last target, and, and he didn't even need to hit a bullseye to win a gold medal. Just mediocre shooting for him. And so he lined up in lane two, and he aimed at the target down uh, his lane. He pulled the trigger, hit the bullseye, dropped his rifle, only to discover that he had actually fired the target in lane three. So his target wasn't even hit, which dropped him to eighth place. Now, you and I sometimes, that's a great metaphor, isn't it? We are well-equipped, we're healthy, things are going well, But sometimes we're not aiming at the right target. God's got a plan for you and for me, and success doesn't always mean what the culture around us describes as successful. As we look at the story of Joseph, what we discover is someone who finally has success, but also honors God in the process. Whether he is in the valley or on the mountaintop, Joseph constantly is faithful to God. He constantly honors God in the process. But there are moments that you and I get distracted by how culture tells us we can and should be successful. Jesus is an incredible storyteller. He's a man who is involved in people's lives. He's interacting. And in Luke chapter 18, there is this terrific story. This young guy walks up to Jesus and he asks Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you've got to keep the law. You've got to obey the commands, love God, love people. And the young man says, I've done that my whole life. I've kept the law. I've kept the Sabbath. I've honored my father and mother. I've not told lies about anyone. I've done everything that I should according to the law. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. Go and sell everything that you've got. Give the money to the poor and then come and follow me. And the text says that the young man went away sad. Why? Because in his culture, he was successful. He had done everything right. He was well off rich. He was influential and powerful, and he was young. But he went away sad because he couldn't fulfill what God's dream for him was in his own life. As we take a look at the life of Joseph, we're reminded of what his ten brothers did to him, selling him into slavery, going all the way to Egypt, being purchased by Potiphar. He's a slave. Going to prison after he's been told a lie that he raped someone. And once in prison, he's forgotten and left alone. If you remember last week, chapter 41 begins, And two years later, he helped out a a cupbearer to the king, but the the guy forgot all about Joseph. And it says, two years passed. Uh, Joseph didn't know what his life was going to look like. He, He had no idea What was happening in the future? We can look at the story. We see the front and the back of the story. And we say, hold on, Joseph. Things are going to get better. But remember, Joseph is right up on the rope. He's right there looking at his timeline. He's not sure how things are going to play out in his life. And maybe in your life, you find yourself there as well. Maybe you find yourself right now in a valley moment, a dark moment. You're not sure what's happening, what's going on. If somebody came up to you and said, hang on for 24 months because things are going to zoom out of orbit. It's going to be a great life for you. All you've got to do is hang on for 24 months and things are going to look up. It's going to be great. And you might respond by saying, okay, I don't like where I'm at, but I can hang on. Joseph didn't have that, that ability. Nobody told him that he lived day to day trusting in God. When I go and run every other day at the gym, I run the 5K, and when I get on, I'm I'm not wanting to be there. My my knees are weak, and sometimes they're sore. But what keeps me going is I plug in the time. I plug in the distance. And I know when it gets to 3.2 miles, I'm getting off that thing. And I watch it grow, and I can't wait. You know, if life was like that for us, it would be a little easier. If we knew something better was coming but Joseph. Just was faithful day in and day out. And some of you are in a place where you're just not sure if you can go on one more week, much less one more day. You and your life right now are in a valley. And you're wondering if God has forgotten you, if you're walking alone, if your faith is doing anything at all. Two years seems impossible for Joseph, but he has faith. And a God that's never left him. Even though lots of people have let him down. His brothers have sold him. Potiphar has purchased him. He's been forgotten by the cupbearer in prison. He's not exactly sure what the next day holds. But then the king of Egypt. At the time the most powerful man in the known world. Has two really weird dreams. He's not exactly sure what's going on he knows they mean something and so he does the equivalent of us getting up and googling it in the middle of the night what do these dreams mean What the king does is he calls in all of his wise men. He calls in all of the magicians. He calls in the priests and the priestesses that that serve other gods. And there are hundreds of gods to be served in Egypt. He calls all of them in to his court and he explains the dreams. But there is no explanation that can be given. They don't know what's going on. Pharaoh's pressing the question. He knows they mean something. Surely somebody has something. And as he sits on his throne in his throne room, standing beside him is his cupbearer, holding the king's goblet, listening to the interaction that's going on, which is where our story picks up in verse 9 of chapter 41. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today I have been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago you were angry with the chief baker and me and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night the chief baker and I each had a dream and each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he told us each what our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he had shaved and changed clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. And just like that, Joseph's life changes. Overnight, immediately, his faithfulness to God proves to be true. After 13 years, Joseph has waited for this moment to come to fruition. He's been waiting, and we know that the hardest part of hope is waiting. Waiting on God to come into our picture, to make it clear the direction he wants us to go, and how he's going to save us at the end of the day. Joseph got up that morning and had no idea. He assumed they would be the same as it always was. But God had circled that day on Joseph's calendar. Things were going to be different beginning today. And so the king tells Joseph his dreams. And Joseph knows what they mean. That's interesting. Because I'm thinking in the moment, there's a leverage moment here. There's a moment for, for some payback to be had. As, as I'm standing there before the King, the most powerful man in the known world, who wants information that only I have, I feel like it might be a bargaining chip after 13 years. I mean, I, I can see Joseph saying, I've got the information you want, but I'd, I'd like to work a deal out. N- number one, I've got 10 brothers back home who really need a good lesson. So I'd like you to send a squad of your best soldiers back to collect them. And maybe toss them into the dungeon that I've been in for a little while. I'd also like you to get Potiphar's wife, who lied about me, to publicly stand on a stage in front of the city and tell everybody that she's a liar, that it really didn't happen like she said. Oh, and this cupbearer standing right here? Oh, two years ago, he told me he was going to let you know about me. But not so for Joseph. Joseph. He might have even said, you know what, i tell you what, two camels, fully laden with gold. Once I tell you what you need to know, I'm going to be out of here and down the road. And everything will be good. You think leverage your position, but that's not what Joseph does. See, wherever he is, whatever he is doing, he serves because he's a man of God. He's a man of faith. He, He knows who he is in God. Joseph took advantage of every opportunity that was given him, and he let God work out the rest. He knew the type of life that God had called him to lead. And so the king tells Joseph his dreams. He says, okay, there's the Nile River, and then there are seven really healthy, fat, good-looking cows that come out of the river, and they're grazing Beside the river, and then right after them, there are seven nasty, skinny cows, sickly looking things that come out of the river. And as they're both grazing beside one another, the, the skinny cows eat the fat cows. Jesus says, Interesting. He says, Oh, I'm not done yet. I've got another dream that's similar but different. That there's a stalk of grain, it's got seven pods on it, and, and it's healthy. It looks Luscious to eat. It's vibrant. And then beside it is yet another stalk, and on that stalk are seven kind of sickly, wilted, moldy pods. And the sickly plant eats the fresh, new one. And Joseph says, Interesting. Let's see what is going to happen. And in verse 25, Joseph says, this is what God's telling me your dreams mean. There are going to be seven very prosperous years here in Egypt. I mean, it's going to be bumper crops from everybody. The the livestock are going to be healthy. They're going to multiply. It's going to be a great, solid seven years. You're going to have money in the bank and food on the table. It's going to be a terrific seven years. But the next seven years are going to be the worst famine that you've ever seen. It's going to decimate the land. And then Joseph does something very risky next in the story. Now You remember that in the room are the magicians, the wise men, the priests, the priestesses, hundreds at Pharaoh's disposal. And they're listening to this story. Remember, Egyptians believe that the king is actually a demigod, God in the flesh, who's dwelling among them. And Joseph begins telling the king... What he should do. You don't tell God what he should do. But after he interprets the dreams, he begins in verse 33 talking to the king. Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so that there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Joseph is vocalizing what God's calling him to say. And the room grows ever tense. Remember, Joseph is is doing everything that God's called him to do. And he's trusting God to do the rest. I mean, it's ludicrous to think that the king of Egypt would allow a Hebrew, someone who's not even part of their people, who was a slave and then a a prisoner of the state, now telling the king what he should do do, but church, this is what God does in our lives. God does the impossible, and he'll do it in your life as well. The very thing that you don't think can happen, God will make happen. When your faith is tied to his, he qualifies the unqualified. God can do incredible things that you and I could never possibly dream of. So the king, after listening to Joseph and his reposal, says to Joseph in verse 40, You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, Kneel down! So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. From rags to riches. Joseph's faithfulness is showing God to be faithful as well. And as we see this turnaround in Joseph's life, we we have a question that remains. Does this change Joseph? Is success going to change the person that he is? A person who has faith and believes in all that God is calling him to be. And it reminds me practically in our time together this morning that overcoming success means recognizing God's hand in that success. That you and I have a giftedness at times. That God blesses us in so many ways. And in so many times, And even in my own life, you try to take credit for that. But church, it's God that's making that happen. And you and I are called as people of God to recognize God's hand in that moment. As Joseph ends up reflecting it all back to God. He says in verse 16, as he tells uh, the king, it is beyond my power to tell these dreams, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Joseph is constantly pointing back at God. It's not about me. It's about God. And if you have success in your life, this is the right response. This is the only response. When you let your pride and your ego get in the way God doesn't want a part of that story. But when you make space in your life for God to be glorified, His strength will be made evident in your story. He's always walking with you. And we see the growth in Joseph, don't we? For the first week, when we talked about him at 17, having those dreams, revealing them to his family, how they're going to bow down before him, he was kind of flippant kind of egocentric in the moment, very prideful in the moment, but after 13 years and his reliance on God, he knows God has been at work. It's not been anything that he's done, and those years in the valley have not been wasted on him. And when you take time in your own life to look backwards in dark moments and valleys of your life, moments when you felt alone, you felt abandoned, you felt forgotten, know that in those moments, God has purpose for those moments as well. He's not walked away from you. He's not forgotten you. Because there have been times in your life when you thought it wasn't fair. The job should have been yours. The pay increase should have been yours. The relationship should have been solidified. Everything should have happened as you saw it occurring. The honor and respect should have been yours. But after a while, and sometimes... It may be a long while. You'll look back and you'll see that God was working all the time in your story. Every single day. I mean, you kind of reverse engineer where you are in your story right now. I, I, I can't believe that God has got me in ministry. It's not possible. As I reflect on the old person I used to be, every single Sunday that I get to bring the message of God's word, To you, church family, I feel humbled and blessed and so privileged that God would use me in his story. And he's working in your story as well. Church, if you remember last year, we had 24 baptisms, 24. This morning, we've already had one. And I know that there's someone here in this audience who's considering it, thinking about it, knows it's what they need to do. And God's calling you right now to make that decision. But every time someone's baptized, I encourage them to start a journal. How did you get here? Backtrack some of that. Who were the players in your life that taught you about God and Jesus Christ? What made you get to the point where you said publicly, I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior? Write down how the water felt that day. Who was there to watch it happen? What your emotions are in the day? Because there will come a time when you find yourself in the valley again. You go back and you read that journal and realize God is still with you the decisions that you've made along the way have been guided by him. Joseph stayed faithful. So you stay faithful. That's what we're called to do, the story of God. We never say, when we come out of the valley and we find ourselves on the mountaintop, well, it's about time. It's about time I got a little payback on this. Don't be that guy. Joseph never said, You owe me 13 years. He was simply thankful for the journey he was on, knowing God had never left him. He was faithful to that story of God. It even played out as he had a family. Later in uh, chapter 41, Joseph gets married and he has two sons. And look at what he names those two sons. Beginning in verse 51, Joseph named his older son Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Joseph names his first son Manasseh, which means to forget. Joseph isn't going to dwell there. He's not going to be back there living in the valley again and again and again. And about how he was done wrong, he's not going to be that person. He's going to live forward in the story of God. His second son, he names Ephraim, which means to be fruitful. Even in his exile, even in his slavery, even in his dark moment, God has continued to bless him and watch out for him. And God will do the same thing for you as well. Maybe on your journey, you are experiencing success right now. Don't forget to be faithful to God and give him acknowledgement in that process. Maybe you're still on the journey and you haven't seen all the successes that you hoped for in life. Remember the story of Joseph and you keep moving forward in your story. Keep remembering that God is faithful to you. Yes, even in the darkness, even in in the valley moments. It's a tough journey that you and I have as we're called to follow Jesus Christ. Many months ago, I I told the story about me hiking with a friend in Colorado, Wyatt. Wyatt. We got lost in the mountains and we didn't have the right gear for the mountains. And it was a miracle that we got out of the mountains. This is Mount Bierstadt, the one that we climbed. One of the 14ers. Mount Evans, Mount Bierstadt. I remember being at the top of Bierstadt and we signed the book kind of to prove that we had gotten to the top of the mountain. And as we looked out across the expanse in front of us, what a beautiful picture it was. It was a tough journey to the top of the mountain, but it was well worth it. I've heard along the way, the harder the hike, the better the view. And it's true. In our own lives, as we follow Jesus Christ, sometimes the heart, the, uh, the hike is hard. But know that the view simply gets better in the process. And Joseph's story reminds me that overcoming success means remaining faithful to the God that loves you more than anything in the world. Remaining faithful in the story that he's playing out for you. I mean, Joseph Joseph didn't didn't get the gold ring and the gold chain and the gold chariot and said, I have achieved, I've been successful. That's not when Joseph was successful. Joseph became successful when he was sold as a slave and he decided to remain faithful to God. Even in the dark moment, he said, I'm not gonna break this relationship I have. It's so incredibly important to remain faithful wherever you find your journey. Jesus, the the great storyteller of all time, tells a story in Matthew chapter 25. He says there's there's this rich owner. He's got three guys working for him. He's going to go away on a trip. And so he entrusts each one of these men, depending on their giftedness, with a certain amount of money. He gives one five bags of silver, one two bags of silver, and one one bag of silver. And he says, do what you can with this while I'm gone. And so he leaves and they begin to work the master comes back. And the one that was given five bags now has ten to give back to the master. The one that has two bags now has four to give back to the master. The one that only had one buried it in the ground. He was afraid of what the master might do if he lost any of it. But for the first two men, the master says, well done, my good and successful servant. If if you look at the text, it doesn't actually say that. What it says is, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so in our lives, we're called to be faithful to the story of God. We're we're called to live out, whether we're on the mountaintop or find ourselves in the valley, live out the calling of God in our life. We do what we can in the moment, and we trust God to do the rest. He's going to come through for you. He's with you. He'll never leave you. He loves you so very much. And he sent his only son to die on a cross so that you and I could have a relationship with him. Church, what a great God we serve. He's the ultimate overcomer. And in him, you and I can also overcome whatever life throws our way. Don't ever forget, even in success, you give God glory. When you find yourself in the valley, you give God glory. God is going to always be with you. His desire is to see you succeed. Give your plans to God, and he'll make those plans succeed. That's his call for us today. My guess is, is, as we look around this room, there are some of us maybe that that are on the journey right now. We're not sure how much farther we can go on this journey. But we need some reassurance that God is indeed with us. As we sing this song, our shepherds are going to be gathered along the wall of this room. And I want to encourage you to go let them pray for you and over you. To remind you that not only is God with you, his Holy Spirit in you, but this church family walks with you as well. We're in this thing together. We are not going anywhere because we know that we serve an awesome God. He is an incredible God who loves you. And so as we st- stand and sing this next song, let's, let's remind ourselves of how awesome he truly is. Let's stand together.